bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in Hello and happy new year and welcome to the latest and newest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today I will be reaching out to an old friend on a topic that's very uh, topical right now. And you'll meet him next here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. When you need someone to listen, a lawyer you know and trust. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant. Over the years at holiday time, Bradshaw and Bryant has been able to help thousands of central Minnesotans arrive home safely from the bars. This year, we could very well be celebrating at home, but there's still lots of things that we can do to ensure that you stay safe on the roads, like slowing down, giving yourself enough time that you're not in a rush, no texting and driving, hands-free phone calls, and of course, no drinking and driving. Please be safe so that you get home to your loved ones. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. This year, my biggest wish is that we all remain happy, healthy, and even a little more kind to one another. A lawyer who will fight with confidence and pride, working harder, going farther, with my Bryant on your side, seeking justice for the injured, Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated earlier, before the commercial break, I was going to take some time today to talk to a good friend that I haven't talked to in a while, somebody who kept me healthy, not only the athletes that we dealt with back in our, our days at the university. He's an athletic trainer, unless that title has changed. Has the title changed? It has not. Okay. Proud of proud to be an athletic trainer. <laughs> okay, he's a certified athletic trainer, and we'll there get, you go. <laughs> I'll never forget to put that C <laughs> on there, and um, and we'll touch that and touch something that's very topical, but not in the way that others have been handling it. And uh, I want to welcome today's guest, my good friend. And athletic trainer certified, Matt Carlson. How's it going, Matt? It's going great, JB. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. It's an overdue conversation with you, buddy, but um, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that you agreed to come on. Um, so let uh, let me ask you this first: How's Meta, Jasper, and the <laughs> girls doing? 
They're doing great. Uh, yeah, my wife is is a pastor here in the Twin Cities, um, and my kids are sixth grade, and then I have twin third grade girls. Holy and so you can imagine. Uh, Jasper's today, in the sixth grade. Yeah, can you believe that? Time marches on. I am. Yep. He's a middle schooler, so um, yeah, it's a busy household. <laughs> I am old. Because my thought was, you tell me that Jasper's six and the girls are three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not quite. No. And um, I had lunch not too long ago with another buddy of ours, Kevin Kreider. He, yeah. out of the blue, texted me and said, "Hey, can we catch up?" So it was a, it was a very good time. Um, yeah, and he has twins, right? He now has twins with the yeah. third on the way. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Well, good luck to him. <laughs> yeah. He has a third. As far as he know, only one coming this time. But <laughs> um, So how did you get interested in becoming, and could you tell the people, first of all, tell the people what an athletic trainer is because people in their minds get them mixed up with somebody else in our field. But could you tell yeah. them what an athletic trainer is and then also, how did you get interested in that? Sure. Uh, athletic trainers are, are allied health professionals. Um, we specialize in the uh, evaluation, uh, treatment, rehabilitation of, of injuries, uh, usually in the athletic population, although we're found now in the industrial setting and workplace environments, uh, even outside of athletics. Um, and so we, we need to be a little bit of uh, kind of a little bit of jack of all trades. Um, you know, we need to be able to recognize injuries, hopefully prevent injuries um, uh, on, on, you know, within athletic teams uh, typically. But, um, and so, you know, I became interested in athletic training uh, way back in the early 90s uh, when I was in high school. I Classic, uh, had injuries myself in, in sports, had bad ankles, um, spent a lot of time at physical therapy. And I was interested in physical therapy or something along those lines of trying to be part of somebody's return, be part of somebody's story in, in athletics. And, you know, I kind of realized through that relationship with the, my physical therapist that, you know, very infrequently are they able to work with the athletes, right? But oftentimes it's, you know, older aging population, maybe stroke patients. And so I became interested in, well, you know, what would be more uh, working with athletes per se? And, and so athletic training was kind of an up and coming um, field. Uh, usually colleges and pro teams had them, some large high schools, um, but not everyone. And so I, uh, I did my undergrad at, at Bethel uh, College at the time, now Bethel University in St. Paul. They had an athletic training program, um, a great one. And so I enrolled there and, and kind of the rest is history, um, you know, becoming, becoming certified and launching my career. Um, now, I want people to understand when they hear the term athletic trainer, they think of the, the, what you and I would call strength and conditioning and that mm, yeah. <laughs> and i want to make sure people understand that um even though you do use some weight training and whatnot to rehab okay. you're not in the strength and conditioning business 
Yeah, it's not it's not a personal trainer. I think sometimes there's that confusion. Sometimes when you say you're an athletic trainer, they assume that if we work, uh, let's say for a soccer team, that we're out there teaching them how to soccer ball or strike a soccer ball. That that's not what we do. Um, certainly, we need to have an understanding of if we are immersed in a sport like football or soccer or basketball or hockey. We need to understand the biomechanics, the demands. Um, how to get athletes back into those sports, but um, yeah, it, it's very it's very different than those two areas, and and certainly I think our name does not necessarily always reflect what we do, which is tricky. I spent a lot of my career having to explain that, and and uh, some of that just stems from, you know, if you're maybe 50 and older, you, you might have not had athletic trainers when you were in high school or certainly in youth sports, so. Uh, there's just that continue um, need to, to educate people. Yeah, when I was in high school, we had a nurse on the sidelines. There was no doctor. Yeah. And um, myself, my junior and senior year of high school, had gone to a um, athletic medicine or athletic trainer's summer camp, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, in 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 Missouri at Columbia, and mm-hmm. uh, learned some basics, you know, taping, um, some rehab stuff and whatnot. So actually, mm-hmm. myself, I was um, on track to become a student trainer, but when I came here to the University of Minnesota, they didn't have an open spot for me. They sent me over to the dark side because you know <laughs> I needed money. And it became an athletic equipment manager. <laughs> That's yeah. I always referred it to as being sent to the dark side. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> so when you're entrenched with a team, how important is your relationship with not only the athletes but the coaches? Well, it's extremely important. You know, no matter what level you're at, I think. You know, the first and foremost, you you have to gain the trust um, of coaches, athletes, staff, parents, um, if that pertains to the athletes you're working with. Um, if you don't have that trust and that rapport, um, people oftentimes are are not gonna not gonna come to you. They're they're gonna maybe go elsewhere. Or, you know. Um, not put you in a position to succeed. So I've, I've always said that um, building that rapport is first and foremost, and then you just need to be a, a great communicator too. Um, you know, of, of why you're making the decisions you are, I think, you know, it's, it's, um, it can be very difficult, especially in a, um, maybe an environment where it's high level athletics or it's a game that really matters um, to, to pull an athlete. Um, you know, what? maybe they have concussion symptoms or maybe they have an ankle that they're just not safe to return, um, an injured ankle. And so, you know, you've developed that trust and that rapport. So, yeah, the athlete can be upset with you. Maybe the parents are frustrated with the fact their kid is being pulled, but they all have an understanding that you're doing it for the right reason. It brings me no joy to sit people, but um, I, I do think that that trust and relationship is, is, uh, is really important. Because the other side of that is, 
you also have a coach that wants that kid back out there, and you got to get the coach to understand it's yeah. probably not the right thing to do. Right. And, and again, yeah, that's where the coach understands, like, listen, I, you know, again, I'm not there um, to pull people indiscriminately. And so especially when you're working with coaches that maybe don't know you quite as well, you know, given the why, you know, this is why I am restricting their participation, um, whether it's a game practice, what have you. Um, and of course, once they do develop that trust and understand your mindset and thinking, um, you know, they generally don't dig into those, those reasons. Um, but I also welcome, you know, if you have feedback, if you have questions of why I'm doing that, ask, don't sit there and hold a grudge or be upset, like, you know, communicate. So um, that's kind of some basic principles that I, I try to follow. And um, like I stated earlier, I started off the track as a student trainer. I heard an ugly rumor. I'm kind of taking a step back here for a quick second. I heard an ugly rumor that student trainers were going to be eliminated from the world of uh, college athletics. Is that true? Well, um, I think what we're doing is we're, I think that's probably referring a little bit to um, uh, there's, there's, there's some, they, they, they want to have, make sure that those that are um, out there practicing as athletic trainers are certified, are, are not students. And so, you know, the, there still are programs that have undergraduate students or graduate students, and there are that traditional um, student athletic trainers. But one thing that's changed drastically is even when I was an undergrad student, you know, I remember having quite a bit of independence um, in that role, making sometimes return to play decisions. And now that just simply is not the case. Um, you know, some of that has to do with liability, but some of that has to do with just protecting, you know, those athletes and making sure that we, they have a high level of care. And so, um, you know, you, I think it's also looking at, um, you know, graduate assistants are, are certainly not, not as common and some of that is financial. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, residency programs that are, you know, coming up now where they're, you know, they are certified athletic trainers. They just want to gain experience in a sport or at a certain level. And so there's this idea of a residency program where much like physicians, you're learning um, a unique skill set um, or learning additional skill sets so that it'll prepare you for, um, you know, a, a workplace as a full-time employee. So there still is a pathway for young people to get involved and, um, Oh, absolutely. You know, yes. There's still, yep. There's still athletic training programs. I, you know, there, there have been a few in Minnesota now that, that have announced that, uh, or have already, um, dropped their programs. And, and again, I think, uh, you know, we, we always blame COVID for a lot of things in society, but, right. but it, it was, it was a result of COVID, you know, it, it's, uh, that was the, the, the thing that people often ask me when, when, uh, when everything shut down, sports included, you know, how they said, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm not doing what I'm trained to do because it's hard to be in sports medicine when there's no sports. Right. And, and so I think that that did have an impact on, on some of these programs. And, you know, it comes down to money too, right? 
to have a program is uh, you have to pay professors and and have everything in place. Um, athletic training is now a um, you, you need to get a master's degree before you can sit for the exam. So that is a new thing as well. So yeah. it's uh, most most places are our three two program. Um, so all that is factoring in to, to those decisions. And we'll and we'll discuss why this is becoming that way as we continue to talk. But now somebody had popped that on me on threw that out to me. They're not an athletic trainer, but they they were they were on the dark side like me. But they had you know they're now coaching high school and um, stated that and that was like yeah I kind of struggle with that being the case. But I wanted to make sure I. Ask somebody that I knew would have an answer, and that's you. So, well, thanks, JB. Yeah. Now, I've always I saw your relationships while you were at the U with your uh, with your coaches, and they were always. And sometimes they can get tense because that's just life, and you know, yeah. they they feel as though that sometimes that that kid being held down is going to cost them their job, which you know that's here and there or whatever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just like they used to say to me that, a, you know, a, a batting glove could cost a kid going to the yeah. pros. So how they got from yeah. that point to that point, I'll <laughs> never know. But, um, yeah. but I always, for the most part, thought your relationship with coaches were always outstanding in the sense that you were well-respected, and the rapport was always there. And they, matter of fact, always, they fought, and I'm going to make your head big, they kind of fought over having you tied to their teams. Um, what makes that, really, you know, beyond what you already said, what makes that relationship important? Mm. Well, thank you. That's a... It's a big compliment, so I, I do appreciate that. I, I think one one thing is is staying humble, right? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you, you say that, and I'm just work. like, oh, shucks. I mean, thanks, but yeah. you know, um, but you know, I think it it goes back to, um, I I think hard work. I think having a work ethic. You know, I I grew up in rural Minnesota, and I my first full time job was at age 13. And not that that has to be the route for everybody, but I think I was taught as a, as a kid to have a work ethic. And so work till the job's done. I know that's something that I saw you practice all the time as well in your role. Well, thank you. Um, you were there later than me right. for sure. Um, but you know, first one's there, last one's to leave mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think people, people saw that, you know, I think it, again, I think it, treating people how you want to be treated. I, I don't care if you're the the worst player on the team or the best player on the team. Uh, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to treat you any different. Um, and I think I'm that way with, with coaches too. Like maybe there's some things that, that you do as a coach that, you know, I would choose to do differently, but um, I, uh, I, I'm still going to respect you for the person you are, because again, treating people how you want to be treated. And so I think that helps. Um, I, I took a lot of pride in, in really trying to understand um, oh, how, how each athlete kind of ticked, you know? And so you might have an athlete that um, 
you know, maybe struggling with some mental health stuff and, you know, you, you try to help them through that, even though at times it can become very frustrating and you yourself can get bogged down. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I kind of also am, am quick to admit when I just don't know, I, I don't know the answer to a question or I don't know what the, what the needs are for the athlete. You know, I had people ask me all the time, like, so what sports did you work with? And I had a stint where I was with men's gymnastics for two years right. at the university. And, and, uh, somebody's like, well, do you know anything about gymnastics? I knew nothing about gymnastics. <laughs> right. I had probably worked uh, a handful of, of women's gymnastics meets like high school level. Um, but, but not at this level, not at this caliber. And I remember, we had a couple couple guys working through shoulder injuries and you know i had to really dig into the coach's knowledge of like what can they do and what can't they do because i didn't know what what the demands necessarily were for their apparatus or their routine and so that was challenging but i'm not going to fake that till i make it i'm going to dig into that and i think coaches really appreciate that that honesty and Listen, I'm I'm gonna get better too, right? I'm gonna get better as I gain knowledge. Right. So yeah. Well and and that's a very important point that you made because I know for me, sometimes I don't know was not accepted, even though you were trying to you were trying to be honest. It was like I don't know, I've never come across this before. And yeah. Of course you were you were being pushed as you as you probably were just saying, you were being pushed to find out yeah. or to, yeah. to dig deeper. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there's a certain st- uh, Stanford softball coach now who would she would do that to me all the time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah, and um, I think that's really hard when, when to maintain that um, kind of balanced approach when it'd be really easy to get upset or to fly off the handle. And, you know, I don't say like bury your feelings. It's good to express the things that frustrate you, but, but, um, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to wear it and move on. And, you know, and (laughs) I think, uh, you know, especially at that level, because, you know, I think there are pressures that coaches face and athletes face that, you know, you and I maybe didn't completely understand. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but listen, like, we're both competitive people too. And trust me, we want to win, right. <laughs> you know? And, and so I, I think they quickly understand that too. Um, I'm just, you know, my, my job is to make sure that they can be successful and, and not, uh, and hopefully come out of their athletic career uh, as healthy as they can come out of it. So. Yeah. I mean, and I want to set the record straight, straight, the coach I mentioned and I are still friends. We're still close. <laughs> yeah. um, she sends me business my way to my uh, my glove business. So oh, nice. all the way nice. from out there. And yeah. to the point that I took a trip last spring to see them. So oh, down cool. in Stillwater, the Gophers were down there, and I figured that I could catch them all in one point and, and yeah. surprise the heck out of them. So. Yeah, I don't want cool. people to think there was there was bad uh, <laughs> juju between her and I. No, we're still friends and whatnot. And the Great. other thing between Matt and I, Matt and I shared not only men's gymnastics, but then there was uh, baseball. 
and women's soccer. And so we 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 worked together constantly, so we kind of had a great rapport. Matt yep. had the unfortunate or did you get one with soccer, a Big Ten championship ring? No, I, I left the fall, um, like <laughs> right before I the thought. season started, and then that team won uh, the Big Ten championship, uh, regular season and tournament. I like to think that I was always the one that teed up teams because right. that happened with baseball too. <laughs> yes. I The year that I left, uh, then the next year they, they ended up winning the conference. So that's what I do, and um, – and that's that's okay, that's that's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, Hard, but okay. I not to bring up a sore point, but I thought maybe you finally got one on the way out the door. Believe me, you deserved one. So well, I I so I was uh, supervising the graduate assistant with baseball, and okay. baseball won it one of my last years, and so uh, Coach Anderson got me a ring. And so I have a ring. All right. I'm um, glad somebody yeah. took care of that. Yep. Yeah, that was nice. So <laughs> now for the let me get into the reason why I'm having you on. And I'm, I'm going to be a little bit different with this topic than we're seeing in the news right now. Um, the young man for the Buffalo Bills who had the uh, unfortunate incident of yep. the um, – uh, not a heart attack, but a heart. Um, it was cardiac arrest. Right, cardiac is, arrest. Is really, yep, yep. Uh, and I don't even want to discuss that because mm-hmm. what I see on TV is one of two things. People asking doctors to uh, basically diagnose a non-patient of theirs, which angers yep. me greatly. that's danger. Yep. <laughs> right, yep. <laughs> which angers me uh, greatly. Are um, other people who are just like tone deaf to the point? Well, why didn't they finish the game and this, that, and the other? Yeah. And that yeah. angers me too. But I don't want to even attack that group. What I want to do is inform people. And yeah. I guess the way I'm going to start with um, informing people is to ask this question: What is an EAP? An EAP stands for Emergency Action Plan. Um, so an emergency action plan is something that uh, is developed for your site, your sport, um, your situation uh, in the event of an emergency. Uh, that is an EAP that can be followed. Um, that can be an EAP that is practiced. Um, it's, it's thinking about all of the barriers to getting someone emergency care um, before the emergency happens, hopefully. Right. And I mean, you. all right, so you take a sport like football and even at the major, you know, even at the college level, um, Mm -hmm. can you kind of speak about all the people who are involved and then we'll kind of move back from football to other sports? But, you know, you you look at like the NFL and major college football, all the people who are probably involved on the game day uh, Mm -hmm. situation. Sure. Uh, I mean, so uh, I'll, I'll preempt all this by stating that I've never worked at the NFL level. Right. Um, I, I had a little bit of interaction at the University of Minnesota um, football program. 
but not uh, anything game day related. But I do have a fair amount of knowledge of what goes into or who, who's at the game um, from a medical personnel standpoint. Um, you know, certainly, obviously, we'll start with like the athletic training staff, right? So uh, NFL, you're probably going to have, uh, oh my, I guess it'd be three or four, a couple interns, um, and and they are um, always prepared to to act. Right. Um, and then you probably have one or two primary care docs. Okay, um, can I stop you there for a second? Yep, sure. Uh, in the case when that young man went down, and I've seen other cases because I was around football for 22 years, so I yep. can kind of speak to this. The one thing I wanted people to, to notice, not only did the athletic trainers from his team run out to the field but also the other team yep come yeah and, and i would i would really uh you know that that's a pretty common practice you know it, it's again we're not going to necessarily talk about uh, you know mr hamlin's right. injury per se but but how it presented um you know you have a loss of consciousness right so we can see that from a head injury we can see that from obviously the heart stopping um are the primary reasons for that. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you notice a, an athlete goes unconscious or is not moving and is already on the ground um, or is posturing like Tua did earlier in right. this season, you know, that's a situation where, you know, obviously the Bills were the visiting team. Uh, their staff is going to run out. You know, that's where the Bengals staff is probably also going to head on in the field. It also depends on where that athlete is positioned on the field. Um, but it was, it was very common for, you know, in um, whether I'm working a high school game or, or if there's multiple staff at the game from each team, you know, it, you're kind of watching for, do they need additional help? Because if it's your home stadium, right. you know, it's going to be your emergency crew, you know, the ambulance crew, mm-hmm. it's going to be your docs, even though both teams had doctors there um you know you're going to have more resources on your sidelines and it's your stadium so it's your eap um that that's going to be followed and so um yeah that that's uh you know that that's pretty common um in the case now if somebody's down because you know they're grabbing their knee right um you know they're that that home team in that case is going to be on standby and they're just going to kind of watch and you know if they need a cart um you know, that's going to be the home team's jam is they're going to have somebody that's driving that cart uh, to come out and, and get that athlete and assist them off the field. And I uh, and I can't remember what game it was. But there was a bowl game and a young man um, had some trauma. It was not heart-related or whatnot. And they were trying to uh, keep him still. Mm-hmm. And, and you can, again, both teams, trainers out there, and team doctors. And the universal sign for a backboard was used. Can you mm-hmm. tell everybody what the universal sign for back the, to have that come out? Well, so, you know, again, that's where your EAP planning comes into play. Right. Because, you know, I, in my career, I have never truly seen 100% of the time the same hand signals used for backboard or EMS, you know, paramedics, um, or call 911, or come out on the field. Um, and so, 
usually you want to make sure that you have a, uh, a hand gesture. A lot of times it's a fist over the head. Sometimes it's an, make an X with your arms. Right. Sometimes it's, it's, it's kind of making a T with your arms and your body. The, the biggest thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that it's recognizable and it's obvious. Um, you know, and, and so that's the things that you would review before a game. Um, you would talk to that visiting athletic trainer and say, listen, if you're out in the field and, and your athlete is, uh, you know, perhaps unconscious and an ambulance needs to be called, um, you know, put the X across your body or put it, put your arms out like a T or raise your fist in the air. If you need the doctor, again, you're going to have a signal for that. You're going to let them know um, what that is and so that they are equipped to, to be able to act quickly. I think that's the, you know, that's the takeaway message with this, this last incident was they were on, they were on that athlete in 10 seconds. Right. And, well, you know, they, they started immediate emergency care mm -hmm. and that's what we practice doing. Like, you know, everybody, my, my staff now mostly are at high schools that I oversee and, and, um, and we practice that every year, twice a year, as a matter of fact. And so, you know, I always tell the staff, I said, you know, some of this is practicing the, the physical um, methods of stabilizing, of perhaps rolling an athlete, um, some of those things. But some of it is just is just going through that routine so that when you need to act, it's second nature. Right. And uh, and so that that's obviously important. All right. Let's go back to the, the list of people who were probably on site. Yeah. Yeah, so I said athletic trainers, obviously, um, uh, team physicians, and that usually is primary care sports medicine, as well as an orthopedic doctor, perhaps a couple, um, you know, maybe with a couple different specialty areas. Um, and then usually most of your NFL teams, uh, you know, has a uh, physical therapist that might be dual credentialed as an athletic trainer. So athletic trainer, physical therapist. Uh, many teams will have a chiropractor on the sidelines. Um, and, uh, you know, and then obviously you have your emergency personnel um, that is dedicated to on-field emergencies. So that would usually be a, an ambulance or a rig with paramedics um, in that case. Um, I'm trying to think if there would be anybody, you know, there could be a dietitian, you know. Right. Obviously, there's there's a lot of. Um, folks that are um, all also on that sideline. And a lot of that is because of the nature of the sport itself. It's a violent collision yes. sport. And, um, you know, you probably need to have those people. I would yep. assume probably not at this because you're also dealing with, you know, 70 athletes on one side of the field and 100 and something athletes on the home side of the field at major college football. Um, yep. So you probably have that big of a scope, but even a contact sport or collision sport like hockey, you mm -hmm. probably have, it's probably scaled back some, but you probably still have some of the same people. Yeah, correct. You, you probably still have, uh, you know, certainly a orthopedic surgeon um, usually is uh you know, I know the wild team doctors pretty well, and I know that one of them, there's two of them, they, they generally are at every game. Um, there's also a uh, um, an ENT 
that, you know, is, is at the game and for any, uh, kind of throat injuries, facial injuries that can obviously occur at a higher rate in hockey. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned throat, there was two, there's two incidents that come to mind and, um, of course people getting hit in the throat with a puck is kind of common. The other is taking a skate blade across the neck. And there was a goalie who almost bled out on the ice many years ago. And um, Clint, um, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm going to give up. Uh, Anyway, there was a scrum (laughs) in front of the net, and he was trying to go for the puck and took a skate blade across his Mm -hmm. neck and started to bleed out. So that's probably, you know, why you have those people. Now, of course, then my side of the world gets a little smarter and came up with throat protectors and goalie masks that came down beyond the throat to help protect that. So that's kind of a way that our two worlds would mesh was uh, protection and safety of the athletes. Absolutely. Um, so now you kind of, you get, I don't, are there any other collision sports that I can, so then you start to peel it back to contact sports, which are like basketball and soccer. Um, what do you normally have for those type of, uh, events? Yeah, at the, at the college level, um, there was always, and again, this is kind of that power five, um, but, but even at the, you know, mid-major level, um, you're going to have a, a team position that's, that's in-house. Um, so that could either be a primary care sports medicine trained doctor or an orthopedic doctor, uh, surgeon, typically. Um, one or the other, generally they both weren't there unless there was maybe a tournament game or something a little bit higher level, but, um, you know, and, and so, you know, there again, they're there for, um, you know, consultation with the athletic trainer, um, about injuries. Um, certainly there can be some general medicine issues that, that come up where, you know, as the athletic trainer, you may have some background in that you may have some knowledge, but it certainly is great to get a physician's, uh, opinion on that, you know, real time. So, Um, that, you know, and then, you know, everything else, uh, usually we would have, um, you know, EMS there, uh, not paramedics, but EMTs, uh, a little different level of training, but, you know, and and they were there, yes, for the athletes, uh, but more so for fans. And so that's the other piece that you kind of look at where you start to get down to some of those contact sports. So maybe it's soccer, maybe it's basketball, you know, who's taking care of the fans, Right. And so, uh, you know, there, there's been times where, you know, at baseball, um, we didn't, we didn't have a doctor in house. And so if, if somebody or, or EMS, uh, sometimes, and so if, a you know, fall ball got a fan, guess who was going to check out the fan that that would be this guy. And right. so, you know, that, that can be, you know, you're, you're leaving your team, you're leaving the game to go care for a fan that can be a little bit tricky, but um, again, it's about helping people too, right? And so right. if you're the if you're the person there that can help, um, you're you're the one that's taking that. So 
it certainly changes. You know, you're you're onto something there where you talk about a sport like football and hockey, uh, and then you start to um, get to those contact sports and then non-contact sports, and then of course you can get to some sports where um, you know, like maybe a tennis um, or golf, where there's no medical personnel there, um, and, and so you know that that certainly can be the case as well. Uh, so. Um, now when you get down to like division two, division three and high school, money does play a part of coverage, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but I would assume that there's still some similarities between that and power five or division one athletics. Yeah. And I, I, again, I think you're talking about football is still. Um, that that sport where, you know, even down to the the high school level varsity, uh, you would almost every high school football game that I'm aware of at the varsity level has a has a doctor present. Mm-hmm. Um, usually that's a home team uh, physician, um, and then uh, you know, but you know, certainly your your other sports, um, oftentimes you don't. Um, and so again, I think, you know, as an athletic trainer, like that is, that's our show, right? And, and you need to be prepared for um, acting in emergencies in which you don't have an entire SWAT team. Right. Um, it might just be you. Uh, certainly high school hockey is a great example where, um, you know, I know a lot of athletic trainers that are kind of nervous about high school hockey. As you mentioned, they basically have uh, steak knives on their feet. Right. Uh, more than steak knives, maybe swords, medieval right. swords, um, can go flying through the air. And, and it's fast, right? Like, it's it's faster than football. <laughs> Those guys can motor. And, uh, and and so, you know, you have to be prepared to act in, a, act in an emergency solo. Um, and, and so that obviously changes your algorithm sometimes as far as how you're treating things um, when you're activating 911 what you're activating 911 for um, I'm certainly not going to move an athlete that I suspect a neck injury if they have strong vitals on a hockey rink by myself or even with the help of coaches I'm not going to move that athlete um, I'm going to wait for paramedics to get there and we're going to do that as a team um, and that's just an example of how you may need to change your your plan of action based upon how many providers you have present. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matt. Um, so with your EAP, um, and some of these questions, I know the answer, but I need to ask them anyway. <laughs> sure. With your, your EAP, say for a softball or baseball game, and <laughs> you, for some reason, are called, like you said, called away to treat a fan or you had to take an athlete in and you don't have a student trainer, um, mm-hmm. does your EAP allow to bring others in to kind of help as uh, situation deems? Yeah, 100% yes. Um, and again, a lot of that is out of necessity. So, you know, examples of, think of, of duties on your EAP is if you're going to call an ambulance, it's very important to have somebody go and meet that ambulance. You can imagine an ambulance driving up to 
a small, medium, or large stadium, well, where do they, there's cars parked everywhere. Um, how do they get into the stadium? And, and so having, sending somebody out to flag the ambulance, that obviously isn't going to be me. Right. Um, I'm going to be providing care. And so is there an equipment manager standing there? Yeah. Hey, JB, you need to head out to the parking, head out to the road, head out to the parking lot. There's going to be an ambulance arriving. They're looking for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have an athlete that, um, you know, maybe it's not an ambulance situation, but they do need to go to the ED. Um, you know, I, I, I recall a couple of, um, you know, facial injuries, getting right. hit by pitches. You know, they don't necessarily need an ambulance ride, but they certainly need to go to the ED because of, a you know, you fear some vision issues or just for routine CT scan, um, x-rays. Um, you know, that might be a situation where is there a student manager? Is there... Um, you know, it needs to be an adult, certainly. It needs to be somebody affiliated with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's where I'd also rely on, on athletes' parents. Um, is that athlete's parents there? Um, I, had, I had one really bad dental injury down in Ames, Iowa. We were playing Iowa State. And um, it was clearly a situation where I was not going to mess with this. Mm-hmm. Um, teeth and displaced. and But they needed to go to the ED. And so, you know, in that case, it was great because the parents were there and did that handoff, you know, they felt comfortable taking the athlete to the ED. It was their own child. Great. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, your EAP should spell out certainly those things that are needed. Um, If there's a gate to unlock, you know, who's unlocking the gate. And those are all things that should be talked about before the Mm -hmm. actual incident has to happen because, what happens if that gate that needs to be unlocked has a padlock and nobody has the key or the padlock is rusted. You can't unlock it. You don't want that to be the issue when you're trying to get a rig onto the field because you have a serious dire emergency and you're trying to get care. Right. So no, we used to meet at the beginning. Every sport meets at the beginning of the season to kind of cover you know, who's going to take care of this, that, and the other. And then it comes to the athletic trainer, and we discuss some situations where, like, you're up and you had to take kid up in the locker room, and you might turn to me and say, hey, JB, if something else happens, come get me. <laughs> you know, yeah. or, uh, you know, you basically at that point it designated me to be the person that, boom, come get you. Or, um, yep, eyes, eyes on, right? Right. Yep. Or, you know, like you said, gates or doors or this, that, and the other. Maybe grounds crew or event management. or, But at least everybody knows when those things go down, they're not standing around with their, you know, finger in their ear. They're in action. Yep. And yep. They're, in, they're moving. And so the other night when we saw the ambulance driver came out, you know, there was a signal given for that person or they were called. Um but then other people around knew that they needed to be doing other things. And the other things that happen is when we would host tournaments, normally there would be a tournament meeting and uh, mm-hmm. there was introduction of uh, the coaching staffs, but also to the host team's staff, the trainer, the doctor, 
the equipment person. So those teams knew who to look for in a situation, and that's kind of a broadening of the EAP, the Emergency Action Plan. And that's right. Just want to make sure that people understand that we just don't show up at events and kind of and kind of wing it. Wing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was even uh, I was watching coverage of of that. I changed it off of ESPN because I felt so bad for for the commentators having to fill time. I right. mean, that was just they did a great job, but um, you know, I, I happened to turn it over to CNN to see what they were saying, and Sanjay Gupta was on there and. Of course, he's a neurosurgeon and right. more media than neurosurgeon probably now. But, you know, he speaks to a lot of medical issues. And the question was, you know, do they have an, where did they get the AED from? And, you know, of course, Sanjay Gupta, I'm certain he probably has not spent a lot of time on the sidelines of an NFL game or any sporting event, but maybe he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he said, well, I am, it's a big football stadium, so I'm sure there was, you know, one in the concourse or the ambulance was there. Maybe they had one. And I'm like, I kind of want to just talk through the television and say, right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think the athletic training staff from both teams don't have an AED right there? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something we have at a high school football game, right? right? We have that at a high school soccer game. Like, it's there, and we practice all the time for that situation. So it is a finely tuned machine. It doesn't mean that there's not, you know, variables that arise that, that cause, cause some struggles, right. That you have to pivot and adapt to, but you know, they're ready to roll. And, you know, I'm certain that as soon as they saw that athlete go unconscious, clearly that somebody had that AED coming out there. Right. And of course, you're going to start CPR as soon as you realize they don't have a pulse, and and get those pads on and and try to detect a a rhythm or or not no rhythm or or a variable rhythm. So, um, yeah, that I mean that's a great point, and it's you know it's all about again it's about communication, knowing who your resources are, what do you have for resources. Um, you know, when I when I interview athletic trainers for, for jobs, one of my questions is, um, what's your experience in emergency management? And I'm listening for the exact things, JB, that you're bringing up, right? You're even even talking, even saying the word EAP. Like, I'm looking for that, right? Like, right. it's so important. It's so obvious. Like, of course, I know that. But, you know, it's important to essentially think about what could happen and be prepared for that. And, and it's, again, I, I saw you do it all the time too, right? Like somebody's laces break, guess what? Well, there's JB and I guarantee he has an extra pair of laces, right? right? <laughs> and it's, and so, you know, you have your own version of being prepared for all sorts of things that could happen. And, um, and, and so hopefully we're, we're able to do that. And, and certainly if you're in a situation where you're like, oh man, I wish I had that or that. Well, next time, guess what? You have you're going to have it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, I know in my time at the university, you know, we, by the end, we had a, we had basically a, a dedicated emergency kit with, mm-hmm. um, we had oxygen, we had, um, you know, we had, uh, oh man, all sorts of things. <laughs> you know, epinephrine that, you know, not just an EpiPen, but actually epinephrine that we could inject. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we had all sorts of things in there, uh, you know, uh, 
glucose tablets. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, you're, you're trying to prepare for any emergency that were to happen. And, and again, sometimes it's all about like holding things down and keeping somebody alive until the paramedics can get there and, and extra hands can be on deck. So. Yeah. I mean, it was to the point, even beyond that, you and Rich Slofelt and other athletic trainers there would find, I don't know if you guys met and discussed who should we do this with or whatnot, but uh, I went through CPR training three times and, Mm -hmm. um, and I went through AED training twice. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like, did you guys kind of discuss certain maybe what you thought were key people that should be trained and keep up their training in the department? Well, so, so some of that, some of that became an NCAA, um, you know, I guess you'd call it a mandate uh, policy where, um, you know, uh, at one point all, you know, they, they decided, well, all coaches need to be first aid CPR, AD trained. Um, you know, and I think that really trickled down to strength staff, um, that trickled down to equipment staff that trickled down to, you know, I don't, I don't know if communications, I can't recall if like, you know, the communications team, but, you know, essentially you're, you're, you're creating a situation where if, you know, what, what do we do if, if, uh, if we're on the road, JB and, you know, we're at the hotel and, um, you know, I tip over right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, who, who's gonna, who's gonna save me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to make it about me, but, but, you know, it, it's a situation where, you know, I'm a, fir- I think, you know, this incident is so tragic and, um, and I, you know, hope for a full recovery uh, for the athlete. But I think what one, one result of this is really having a conversation about why can't, why can't like CPR and AED training become part of every every high school's curriculum mm-hmm. or, you know, why, why does it cost, if you wanted to get certified right now, I'm guessing you'd have to go to the red cross and I'm guessing it's at least a hundred bucks for the course. Right. You know, why, why can't we make that just a community course where it doesn't cost anything? You know, the, the instructor can still get paid, right. <laughs> but as a society, I mean, it's such a, it's such a benefit. Um, to have that training and you don't, you don't have to even, you know, you don't have to be perfect at it. it it's just, it's knowing roughly what to do is better than nothing. And, um, you know, I feel strongly about that. I feel passionate about that. I was actually having a, I was in a conversation with, with, uh, one of the bigger districts in the state, uh, their, their athletic director last night. And, you know, he, he's in his first year in this district and he came from Florida and he kind of alluded to like, well, you know, at least all of our coaches are, are CPR certified for the event, something like this, where we didn't have an athletic trainer right there. And I said, well, actually in Minnesota, that's not a, that's not a mandate for high school coaches. Right. And there's, you know, there's 17 States. I did a little research just because of that conversation, but there's 17 States where the, coaches are not high school coaches are not required to have CPR training in Minnesota is one of them. And so, you know, what a great initiative to try to, 
again, use this situation as a reason why, listen, you know, why shouldn't the tennis coach be CPR certified? And, you know, um, I think we just need more of that for sure. Well, you, you hear about these stories of young athletes um, succumbing to something in practice. Yeah. Well, at high school level, there's probably not going to be a trainer at practice. Correct. So yeah. it's probably important that uh, several members of the coaching staff or at least one member of the coaching staff have some type of training. You know, yeah. if a kid goes young uh, woman or young man goes down that somebody can start administering some type of first aid or or put you know things in, in action you know tell somebody yep. to call 911 and what it you know what it could be or could not be but um, <laughs> the memories come come flowing back as this conversation is going there was one time I was on a trip with the soccer team, and thankfully this was not a medical thing, emergency, but you were used to administer exams. And when I was talking about exams, I'm talking about academic exams. On, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> on trips. And you oh got ill God. one time, and I was on the trip, and I wound up <laughs> administering the exams, <laughs> proctoring the exams. So that and also we were and this was long before you were probably in grade school at at the time this happened (laughs) um we were having a light practice football practice at the u and then we were going to have what we used to call milk break which was a a football clinic at the metrodome was sponsored (laughs) by uh, lando lakes or whoever but it was called Mm -hmm. a milk break and uh, I had my stepson and my son with me, and um, we were in the equipment room doing some things because practice had literally wrapped up, and I hear somebody scream, call 911, mm-hmm. and I went flying out to the field because my first thought was my kids have gotten in a way, and one of them have been run over, and I run out there, and I look to the left, and I... <laughs> And I see them both scared as crap, but they're sitting in one of the golf carts. So I was like, oh, whew, it's not them. But then I did see the legs of the person on the field, and they weren't wearing football pants. I was like, oh, God, who that, who was that? And it was our – your friend and mine, Dick Matson, had oh, a Caesar yeah. on the oh, field. Yeah. And – Watching that e- EAP go into action for, yeah. you know, a not even for a non-athlete, you know, yep. somebody was being directed to open the side door. Somebody else was to meet the ambulance and this, that, and the mm-hmm. other. And as uh, never forget, Doug Losey and Brent Milliken tried to get him to relax and to yeah. – um, work with him it's so i've seen it firsthand i've seen it come to play where a michigan football player had his femur broke in the in the game and it's just the sound and then everything that went into action right then and there um 
that's Matt. That that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, and we did talk about today was, yeah, uh, you know, the the crap that you see on the TV. You know, people tr- again, people trying to have doctors diagnose a non-patient, and all the other stuff just irked me, and it just it made me send a text to you and say, hey, "Can I have you on?" Just yeah. so people understand what the heck you guys do and how how deep of what you do in uh, you know the details that entail what actually was going on, and I'm not talking about the diagnoses, but the life saving uh, measures that were taking place on that field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kudos to to all those medical staffs and. You know, I hope that um, I hope that you know. Obviously, we want we want this athlete to recover and make sure that you know comes out of this as healthy as can be. But you know, let's let's uh, let's praise the folks that acted right. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I appreciate you bringing that to the forefront. Um, and you know, I think we can we can reserve the the armchair diagnoses and give this, this athlete, this family space too. Um, I mean, that's right. the other thing is, you know, I don't think this family needs to, to be dealing with the overwhelming, you know, media pressure to give us updates, give us updates. I know everybody cares and, you know, we all want to know, right. How right. he's doing, but, but I think that's also important to keep in mind, but I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. I mean, I've watched, CNN course and uncle to talk to them. I was like, God, that's just crappy. Why couldn't they just let the guy be, you know, he was out for yeah. a breath of, he stated to the, uh, reporter, I'm just out for a breath of fresh air. And the report yeah. reporter just dug in, had to get some, had to get some, yeah. Yeah. you know, and the uncle, you know, he's not a medical profession, just told what he saw was happening to his nephew and the treatment that was being uh, taken place. And then CNN then turned around and went to Subtin Gupta and tried to get a diagnosis from him from what his uncle said. And that, that for me, was the final straw. It's like, number one, you crossed... Yeah, just change the channel. Right. Number one, you crossed the line by, you know, bothering this man in his time of pain and then you turned around to to use it to drag this doctor back on the air to try to you know try to be first it's it's never it's not even right anymore it's try to be first and it just yep. bothered the crap out of me so yeah. i wanted to set the record somewhat straight i wanted to have a great person on and uh i hadn't talked to you in a while anyway so it was yeah, just it was a, great to catch up yeah you know, it was just an excuse to um to, to catch up with you and uh you talked about your kids my my son is now 33 <laughs> believe it or not oh my word <laughs> and um you know he's on his own and he has a great job now and this and the other and my uh daughter because i don't even think you know i have a daughter <laughs> that yeah i knew your son because i think when i started at the u yeah he was just graduating high school right well so i but i can't believe he's 33 yeah he's 33 (laughs) wow 
And my daughter okay, just... Okay, I guess that makes sense. Right. It just graduated from FAMU, so... Oh, nice. Yeah. She's... Well, uh to go. Techno- te- technology bio, uh, bioscience major. So, she wants to be wow, a physician, cool. she claims, so... More power okay. to her. I told her, getting you through, through your BS <laughs> was our job. We're done. <laughs> yeah, good luck to you. Yeah. Now you can, uh, yep, you can take out some loans or get eight jobs. <laughs> right. One or two. But uh, yeah, right. we got to cut the strings at some point. Well, like I said, it's been fabulous to catch up with you. Somehow you, I, Rich, and Kevin are all got to sit in a room together. But um, I guess that's something, that's something to work on. Um, yep, absolutely. You're, you're still at TRIA? I am at TRIA, yeah. I, I'm a supervisor of sports medicine services there. So I kind of uh, try to keep the, the whole sports medicine department. We have about we have 24 high school contracts um, right now. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's different, but it's fun. And Tria also, you see slubs like me too, right? Oh yeah, we'll see anybody, JB. And <laughs> in, in fact, we'd love to see more athletes, but we see a lot of um, uh, very athletic middle-aged men, like <laughs> weekend yourself. warriors. Is the term that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see anybody, but uh, I, I definitely primarily uh, focus on the. Uh, the younger population and more of an outreach setting. So, uh, right. so yeah. So how could people contact TRIA? Uh, well, you can go to our website, TRIA.com. So right. that'll route you. And um, we have all online scheduling um, now, so you don't even have to talk to anybody anymore. You certainly can call right. um, to schedule an appointment. We also have uh, walk-in clinics around the metro where they're open 8 to 8 seven days a week a lot of people take advantage of that so if you uh if you get up tomorrow morning after shoveling all this heavy snow um and have a bad back we're your place you can swing on in and see a sports medicine trained physician even if you're no longer a prime time athlete so i appreciate that matt and i appreciate you more than you ever know and the oh. first person this is going to go to is a certain soccer coach down in Columbia, Missouri. So, oh, <laughs> uh, she's the best. <laughs> still, still one, certainly one of my top three coaches of all time. Right. Uh, maybe number one. I don't want to get too ranky. So, <laughs> um, but JB, I appreciate you. You, you've taught me a lot. Um, I taught you. You know you. <laughs> no, you certainly have taught me a lot, a lot about life, and and uh, I appreciate you and and everything that you bring to, uh, well, your your podcast fans as well as as everybody you come in contact with. You're you're a treasure, so um, well, I appreciate, I appreciate you. Well, I gotta be humble. <laughs> so. Yeah, see, there you go. Good job. <laughs> well, this has been the JB's Low Tech Podcast, which I. When I first started, it was a, I called it a, a minor miracle. <laughs> and I hit, this is show 101, so <laughs> the miracle continues. And it's, uh, the title of this will be Crisis on the Field. And today's guest has been Matt Carlson, certified athletic trainer, 
here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. When you need someone to listen, a lawyer you know and trust. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant. Over the years at holiday time, Bradshaw and Bryant has been able to help thousands of central Minnesotans arrive home safely from the bars. This year, we could very well be celebrating at home, but there's still lots of things that we can do to ensure that you stay safe on the roads, like slowing down, giving yourself enough time that you're not in a rush, no texting and driving, hands-free phone calls, and of course, no drinking and driving. Please be safe so that you get home to your loved ones. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. This year, my biggest wish is that we all remain happy, healthy, and even a little more kind to one another. A lawyer who will fight with confidence and pride. Working harder, going farther. With Mike Bryant on your side. Seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Oh, what a time catching up with my buddy Matt Carlson. Matt and I worked together. We'd go for baseball, go for soccer. Uh, he oversaw softball a little bit, so I got to hang out there with him. And also we worked with men's, uh, men's gymnastics on campus. This is show 101. If you hadn't heard show 100, it was a best of. Please go back and listen to that. Please continue to listen to me on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Overcast, and many other outlets. It's 2023, people. We're still, we're doing okay because we're still here. Thank you for listening. Oh, and again, if you are a weekend warrior and you've pulled or broke something, Reach out to Tria Orthopedics. They'll take care of you because I know because they hired a good man like Matt Carlson. But again, thanks for listening and listen to the next episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African American, black, black, black. Django. J.B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J.B. Our great Negro sex machine.